Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information about Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. And now, here's Cynthia. Well, good afternoon, and thank you for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are in the Christmas season. And if you were able to listen to the last show that we did last week, we talked about why God wants me in relationship. Because, you know, many times during this this Christmas time, there's a lot of poignant feelings that come up for us. And it sometimes, you know, really causes us to look at where our relationships are at. And we might feel a greater sense of loneliness you know, and, and sometimes we, we end up spending more time with people than, than we might have done during the year. And some of those relationships can be kind of problematic. So we talked a lot last week about how to manage relationships in that the more I accept God's way of relating to me, which is unconditional, and we use the love chapter to say, this is how I need to accept that God really relates to me. And I need to believe that he truly feels this way. And, and we have this strange, um, you know, contradiction in that we will believe what other people say about us, especially when it, and it's inappropriate or it's not even true. You know, they may be inferring or even stating point blank, you know, you're a loser, you're a failure, you know, you're not worthy, you're not lovable. These kinds of statements, these kinds of inferences that we get even subtly are extremely painful. And our tendency is to believe those. But we have this hard time believing what God says when we know that God doesn't lie. So it's imperative that we redirect that thinking and we say, you know, I'm going to choose to believe that this is how lovable I am, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of the mistakes that I make, has nothing to do with how God feels about me. And if any of you have children or pets, you know that feeling, that you love that child, you love that pet, regardless of what they do, you still love them. Now, you may not enjoy them as much because this is an intimacy issue, and we discussed that last week as well, that the way to have intimacy has a lot to do with the the way that I relate to myself. If I'm disconnected with myself, I'm going to have a very difficult time connecting with other people in a meaningful way. And so one of the best ways for me to start this relationship process and to encourage intimacy, which is knowing another and being known by them, is, has everything to do with how I relate with God, how I relate with myself, and then how I relate with others. So one of the things that we see when we have this problem with relationship with ourselves, with God, with other people, is this, is this issue of codependency. And, and unfortunately, this has become kind of a trite term, and it's an all-encompassing term, and is now used in, in a somewhat pejorative way. But what we have to understand is that true, truly codependency is now this cultural phenomenon. And I say to clients when they say, well, I'm not codependent. And I say to them, what, are, are you American? Because it's a quite insidious and chronic, excessively prevalent and destructive in our culture. 
And truly, it can kill the person and the relationship and the systems infected with it. And I don't necessarily mean fatally, but codependency has a way of killing or stealing our identity from us. And it truly affects the way systems relate. This would be like your work world and that all the people that are included in your work world kind of create a system. We have a family system of how they relate with one another. We have a cultural system. And so codependency can appear very loving, very nice, very sacrificial, very loyal and committed as a way of relating. But it's a way of relating that has kind of gone askew. And so when I say this about America, we see that with America, we have this tendency to lose our identity when we interact with other uh, countries. And and we have this tendency to, to not want anyone in the world to be mad at us. So we are always trying to meet their needs and do what they need, and we don't necessarily require it back. We don't set boundaries with countries. If they abuse us or abuse our people, we continue to try to work it out with them, and we don't say, hey, no, stop. That's it. And so we see this as this cultural phenomenon that we all kind of learn, and then we learn that in our families as well. And so we also, as Christians, have this tendency more toward codependency because it looks self-sacrificial. It can look Christ-like. It can look merciful. It can look long-suffering. When a lot of what is going on is that we are allowing bad behaviors and we are taking responsibility for somebody else's bad behavior and we are trying to change their behavior versus dealing with ourselves, setting appropriate boundaries and letting uncomfortable feelings occur because I said no to someone. And what you will find are the safest people are the ones that handle the word no. If you are dealing with people that do not handle the word no, you can, you can certainly bet they are probably not very safe people. So in relationship, in close relationships, especially intimate relationships, if I have someone that does not handle that word no well or refuses the word no, I have a pretty unsafe person, and I want to be careful about how much of me I share. That does not mean I am saying in any way that we are to be defensive, self-protective in a defensive manner. What I'm saying is that we want to practice healthy boundaries. And so in Proverbs 14.12, it says, this is one of my favorite verses, it says, there is a way that appears to be right to a man, but in the end leads to death. So codependency can seem right, but in the end it'll kill the relationship. Because it means that I'm trying to manage the other person's side of the relationship. I'm trying to control how they feel about me, how they feel in any given moment, because I don't want them to feel any pain, because if they feel pain, then I feel bad. So I'm trying to control outcomes. I'm trying to control how they feel, how they think about me. And what we see with God is he is not a codependent God. In fact, he has great boundaries. He's very able to say no. He's still able to stay connected with us, but he is not going to be controlled. And I I can guarantee you, I can be a pretty relentless person and I can travail and prevail with God about an issue. And if he says no, he means no. And there isn't anything I can do to change it. Thankfully, he loves me unconditionally and I can't change that either. So it's wonderful when somebody is clear with how far they will go, clear with the word no, because it causes them to be very safe. It means that I can depend on God. 
I can, it means I can depend on the fact that he says what he means and he means what he says. I don't have to interpret or work around what does he really mean by that or what's he inferring or maybe he's sending me a subtle message or maybe this is what he really means and I have to be a detective to figure it out. These are all elements of codependency that I can't really say what I mean and I can't really mean what I say because I'm worried about what someone will feel, what someone will think. So I'm trying to protect or manage the other side of the relationship instead of protecting, managing, and doing my side of the relationship. So the example of a perfect relationship is the triune, obviously. We see how well Father, Holy Spirit, and Son work together. Even though they maintain separate identities, they still operate as one. So when we are doing healthy relationships and we have high intimacy, it means that that person that I am very close to, that I share my internal world with, that I know very well, they still are their own person. I'm still my own person, but we can work as one. And for humans, because we are imperfect, not like the triune, if I am truly intimate with someone and I know them and they know me and we work well as one, there may be times when we don't work as one because maybe what that person is doing may be inappropriate, may be a part of a learning curve for them, maybe something they're overcoming, a struggle, maybe a sin that they are working on. And it may be the same for me. And so if that person is codependent with me, then they're going to lose who they are in my own dysfunction instead of letting me manage my dysfunction and them holding a boundary that says, I can't control that. I accept it. I can't control it. I have to trust that the other person is working on it. And if we're safe people, then we are managing our own life. So my dysfunction, my sin, is more important to me, and I am working harder on it than the person in the relationship needs to. That causes me to be a safe person, not, an, not a perfect person. Because we're all interacting and we're all interrelating with sinful people because we all are sinful people. And we are very thankful for the verse in Philippians 1.6 that says we can be confident of this. He who began a good work will complete it. So I can be confident that God is doing a good work in me and he will complete it. And if I'm in intimate relationship with safe people, I can be confident that God's going to complete the good work in them and I don't need to manage it. And I don't need to fret about it. And there's this famous um, prayer that I just learned by Martin Luther, and it says, pray and let God worry. And so when I'm interacting with people in a non-codependent way, I'm praying for them, but I'm not going to worry and fret about their condition. It doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean I do everything I can to support them, encourage them, but I pray and I don't worry. Once I start worrying, I've crossed that line and I'm now doing their side. And I'm caring more about their dysfunction than they are. And I'm working harder than they are on their life. Because the codependent person says, if their life is working, my life is working. If you're okay, then I'm okay. And so there's no separation of boundaries. So we see in the triune, they all three work together, but they keep a separate relationship. And we have in John 17, 13 through 25, he says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not. Sanctify them. The truth, your word is truth. As you sent me in the world, I've sent them into the world. 
And so what we're seeing is that he then goes on to say, my prayer is not for them alone. I'm praying for those ahead of them. And in verse 22, he says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. And this is not something we deserve. He says that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. And so what we see is that can sound kind of codependent, like we're losing our identity. But what Jesus is saying, you're in me and I'm in you. It doesn't mean that you stop being you and I stop being me. So if you've been intimate with somebody, you know that they're in you. So we want to make sure that we are managing that well. So we're coming up to the end of this segment, and we're going to take a small break. So please join me again, and we're going to finish and work on this idea of codependency in these holiday times. This is Cynthia Hyatt. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are talking about this issue of codependency. And codependency is one of these things where I lose myself in you. Or I I work harder on your side of the relationship than I'm working on mine. I'm trying to manage yours so that I feel okay about me. So I want your life to work so that my life works. So if you're okay, I'm okay. And so we see that this is absolutely opposite of the way that God interacts with his people. He is very clear on who he is and who we are. He's very clear on how hard he's going to work on his side of the relationship, and he doesn't try to manage our side. He accepts the way we are. He accepts how we relate to him. And he is hoping that as he continues to relate in a healthy manner and in a loving manner, in a supportive manner, that we will respond He's also very able to set appropriate boundaries. And so those boundaries are imperative for him to continue to love us because if he doesn't have healthy boundaries, he would go crazy. He'd be frustrated to to the nth degree with us. So we know, and we're going to look at this in this segment of the show, at some, some ways we know that there's some codependency going on. And one of the ways that we know is how frustrated I get with another individual because that means that I can be more entangled in their issue, and I'm wanting to control their issue because it's driving me crazy. So we also know that God is very good at saying no. And we said in the first segment that one of the ways you know you're probably not with a very safe person is if they don't handle the word no very well. Because people that have good boundaries that are not codependent accept the word no because they're managing themselves. So what we find is the best way to learn relationship, obviously, is from the master of relationship. Because God is the ultimate relator, and he knows how to relate perfectly. See, he doesn't lose himself in the process, nor is he controlled or anxious or worried when he has to say no. He is sure when he says no, although he's often willing to negotiate. So I may say no to someone, and if their behavior changes, I may negotiate some of that no. I may loosen up on some of that. The more unsafe a person is, the more out of control they are the more that they are not in charge of their own program, the stronger the no usually needs to be in order for me to be safe in relating to them. So we can see that God is not codependent. When we look at Abraham and the way that he interacts with Abraham, the way he interacts with Jonah, the way he interacted with David, that he still is able to negotiate, but he also is able to say no. 
So God is the creator of relationships, and as a result, he lives to relate. And we talked about in the last show that this is one of the primary reasons he created humans. And this is the most important thing for a human to thrive, is that they need relationship, and they need relationships that have intimacy. Because intimacy is being known and knowing another. So humans are made to relate, and they become very sick and can die if they don't relate. And we addressed this when we talked about this idea of failure to thrive. And that when people are not known or seen emotionally these days, as an adult, you may have failure to thrive. So you may have been taken care of as well as a child, but you may not have had adult caregivers see you, know you, mirror back to you who you were, how valuable and how precious you are. When that happens, we have this failure to thrive. And so we may go along performing and actually relating, but we don't really know someone and they don't really know us. Because all of a sudden, it seems too unsafe. If every time I have tried to be known and I've been met with another person's dysfunction that's unchecked, I'm going to want to to say to myself, I don't do relationships anymore. It's not safe. I don't want to try anymore. But what happens is there's this yearning inside of us to keep going out there and we try again. We keep trying because it's this innate need that humans have. So what we want to work on is having our relationships successful and positive so that we can allow ourselves and experience intimacy. If we don't try for intimacy, we're going to be very unsuccessful in our relationships that are most significant to us. Because if we don't know and be known by someone and have our internal world validated and understood and accepted, then we end up being lonely, even if we're in a significant relationship. So what we find is that the codependent relationship, it may keep us alive, but they do not cause us to thrive. Instead, codependent relationships steal our identity. They steal our energy, our sense of well-being, our self-worth, our hope, our sense of control over our own lives. And we also lose self-confidence because we feel completely ineffective because we're trying to control something we can't control and we are not going to be successful. So codependency many times is an issue of identity. And, and the way that I explain it or I have found to, to work is that codependency can maybe be over, understood as an overall idea that I'm dependent on people, places, and things to define and support my identity and the more successful I am with, with my, the people that are in my life and the places I go and the things that I own or the things that I do, the more I'm going to bolster my identity. The problem is it may not be my true identity because it sounds like, and you've heard of this before, performance-oriented behavior, that I'm only as good as what I do and how others feel about me. So this puts me in a very precarious position when I'm in relationship with people because it causes me to depend on their well-being and their opinion of me and how much or how, how little they validate me and how much they know me in order for me to feel good about me. Now, the origin of this concept, it began in the 70s, I'm sure you know, in the treatment of alcoholics. And it applied to those family members of the addict. And so this overriding theory of codependency is one of early childhood dependency. And it's those needs being unmet. And it leads to these, what we call abandonment issues. 
So if I'm depending on a caregiver that is not able to meet my emotional needs, is not able to validate my existence, is not able to, to show me, to relate to me, to reflect to me how precious, how wanted I am, I'm going to have this feeling of abandonment. I'm not going to feel connected. And when a child doesn't feel connected, they end up getting into controlling behaviors as a way to try to reclaim that inherent basic need. So this results in persons having identity types of issues. Like, I don't know who I am unless you tell me who I am. I don't feel good about myself unless I'm successful with you and you tell me that I'm good. Obviously, this is not a healthy way to relate because this puts us in a dependency on external things. Instead of depending on God, who's internal, and depending on ourself as an adult for those own basic needs. So we're coming close to a break. And I want you to begin thinking about how might this be affecting my relationships and does my codependency increase as I interact more with family, as I interact more with people in my world, my work world, as I maybe have reunions with people I haven't seen uh, over the course of the year. And what happens to my sense of identity? Does it get more shaky? Does it get more, um, do I get more unsure? Do I get a little bit more compulsive? Do I get a little more controlling? And so we're going to talk more about this, this boundary issue when it comes to codependency and how I manage that so that I keep that sense of internal peace or I reclaim the peace that I may have lost. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we continue to look at this issue of codependency in the Christmas time. Thank you for joining me. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today, in honor of Christmas, we are talking about the issue of codependency. And codependency, again, has this this theme or this this compulsion that, that causes me to want to control the external world so that my internal world is working for me. And what we identified in the last couple segments is that this has a lot to do with how I was raised. This has, and, and this is not ever to slam our families because, my goodness, our families are probably doing the best that they can as well. And generally, our parents did much better than the parents they had. The problem is we are being parented by imperfect people. And so if one of the things that happened in my growing up was that my emotional needs weren't met, weren't met appropriately, if I didn't get the nurturing that I needed, if I didn't get the connection, the, the intimacy, you know, that being known and knowing somebody, if I didn't get that feeling that I was this precious, wanted human, then I'm going to have what's called these abandonment issues. And what happens is I'm going to go external because you have to remember that children don't have a defined internal world yet. This is one of the things that happens as we grow up. And we, re, we begin to claim our own internal world, which has a lot to do with how we interact with the external world. And so if my internal world is unsure and has a lot of invalidation, then I'm going to look to the external world to tell me who I am. And if the external world is not giving me good feedback, I'm going to be compelled to control it. I'm going to try to fix it. I'm going to try to redefine it. 
I'm going to try to make sure that people know who I think that I am. And I'm hoping that they validate that back so that I can go, yes, that is who I am versus me knowing who I am. And so we always want to remember when we're dealing with this issue that we don't want to go to the external world. These are imperfect people that are struggling themselves to be known and to know if they're okay. So who I want to go to first is always God. And he tells me very clearly in the love chapter how he feels about me, how important I am to, I am to him. He also tells me in Psalms 139, he says, I knew you before you were formed. I created you in your mother's womb. How beautifully, wonderfully made. That the heights of, of, you know, of heaven, the depths of Sheol cannot remove you from me. You can't get outside of my presence. So what a great way to think about that internal, that little part of me, to be able to validate and truly believe that God says, you know, I knew you, I thought about you, and I then made you. That's intention. That's him wanting you. And so it's imperative that we integrate that. And one of the best ways to integrate that is I just simply say, you know, I'm going to choose to believe. Because I know you have the ability to do it. I know that I do. It's scary to do it. It's hard to do it. But I'm very willing to believe the world about how they feel about me. And that's kind of crazy when we think about it. Why would I believe the world, who first of all doesn't even know me, and they have their own issues? So I need to be saying God is the one that tells me who I am. God is the one that establishes my worth, my value, whether or not I, I am wanted or accepted. And I go then out into the world knowing that. See, this is what parents are supposed to do for us, but many times it hasn't been done for them, so they have a hard time giving it to us. Because if we get that feeling growing up, then we automatically go out into the world with that feeling. Well, most of us didn't get that feeling. So we need to get that from our Father in heaven who truly knows the truth. And so from this, this perspective of a child, if I don't get those primary dependency needs, then I can't be independent. I end up being what's called counterdependent, which means I'm, I'm dependent on those, that external world, whether that be substances, compulsive behaviors, people's approval, my status at work, how much money I have, what my appearance is, how beautiful I am, how good-looking I am. I become counterdependent versus dependent on God and independent in the world. So this is a tough concept. And this is why you can see that codependency is not, it's not trite. It's, it's very complex issues that affects us very deep within the very core of our being. So we're wanting to really work on that internal world because that internal world goes with us everywhere we go. And if I don't have that internal world in order, I get out into the external world with mistake-making people, and they can really, really cause stress for me if I don't have good boundaries that are able to say, that's outside, this is inside. God and me are inside my internal world. This is where I get my needs met when it comes to validation, self-approval, and it doesn't mean that I'm approving of me because I'm perfect. I'm approving of me because I'm valuable. And value is intrinsic. It is not something that I can increase or decrease. God says I'm valuable, therefore it is. And that has to be the substance, the bottom line of my faith, so that I can be safe in a very imperfect world. So come back at the next segment as we talk more about this issue of codependency, how we can be safer 
in our environment, everywhere we go around Christmas time, when people are certainly struggling. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today, we are going to continue our talk on codependency. And that it's kind of our national pastime. Because, you know, we get, as a country, we get our needs met externally from other, par- other countries. And so we don't want anyone to be mad at us. We have a tendency to accept very bad behavior. We don't set boundaries a lot of times. We lose our identity often when we interact with other countries. And so this is kind of a national, this is a cultural issue for us. And so we can see that as a macrocosm and as a microcosm, just happening in me, I have a tendency maybe to lose my identity when I'm interacting with others, and I let them determine who I am. I get very disturbed by their behavior, but I might not say no when it affects me negatively. I might actually accept a lot of bad behavior, and then I might end up trying to take care of it so that I fix it so I feel better. So when we look at the, the, code, the definition again of codependency, we see that it describes anyone in a significant relationship or with a thing that, that the person then exhibits any kind of dependency, which means I, I'm dependent on, on people, places, and things. So some of the dependencies are more subtle than others. So it may be alcohol, drugs, sex, food, working, gambling, perfectionism. I'm dependent on that to determine who I am. Or I may be dependent on another person. And if that person loves me, then I'm okay. If that person approves of me, then I'm okay. What we recognize is that this is part of that early childhood development. That if I didn't get those feelings from my primary caregivers, then I grow up as an adult trying again to look outside of myself to get those needs met. Because what we want to see in children is that they get those needs met from 0 to 12. And then as they grow up, they integrate it and they go out into the big adult world that is very unsafe. But they're safe inside of themselves because they know who they are. They know they're approved of by God, by their family. They know by themselves. They know that they're, they're wanted, that they're valuable, that they're precious. And so these are all in, intrinsic needs that humans have. And if we don't get them from our primary caregivers, which is not unusual because our primary caregivers probably didn't get it from their caregivers and so on and so on and so on, all the way back to Adam. So what we want to do is it causes us as an adult to choose my primary caregiver, which is going to be God and then myself. And so as sad as that may be, I would love to go back and get all of that from family, but my family is my family. They did the best that they could. And so I need to fill in the blanks. That is my responsibility as an adult, to get those needs met by God and by myself and not try to get that all met by others who puts too much pressure on them. They're trying to do it for themselves. And so what happens is, as I am codependent on people, places, and things, then those who are adversely affected by this dependent person's behavior who have an imbalanced sense of responsibility to rescue, fix, and help that dependent person, if maybe you're in relationship with an addict, then I want to fix them. I want to change that. I want to help them out in an inordinate manner, which means that I'm putting pressure on them to hurry and get fixed so that I feel better. Or I want to get my feelings of self-worth because I'm successful with them, and I fixed them, and now they're okay. 
And so I have a tendency to rescue. And we talked about how America, as benevolent as Americans are, and I, I love being American, and I love that heart that we have, sometimes we end up just rescuing. We don't set appropriate boundaries. We don't help people help themselves. And so this, this codependency occurs when a person's God-given needs for love and security have been blocked in a relationship with a dysfunctional person. And so we see that if this happens with our primary caregivers, because we all know that the world is dysfunctional to one degree or another, and that we are not judging or slamming our, our families, what we're saying is that there's no way they could meet all those needs for me because they're struggling themselves to meet needs. So then I get a lack of objectivity, a warped sense of responsibility, and I either get controlling with others or I feel controlled by them. And so then I'm going to have hurt and anger and guilt and loneliness, which are corollaries to this this warped sense of responsibility and these controlling issues and this lack of objectivity. So it affects the codependent's very relationship and desire. So the goal is to avoid pain of being unloved and to find ways to, to, to prove that he or she is lovable versus knowing who they are, knowing they are loved by God themselves, not depending on perfect love from others. So some of those characteristics of being codependent, and, and trust me, this is not intended to cause anyone to feel any kind of guilt or shame. This is simply so that we can have indicators of, wow, like if I had a cold, you know, what would be an indicator? My nose, I'd have sniffles, I might have itchy eyes. And if it turned into the flu or turned into a virus, right, I might get bronchitis or pneumonia. Now, please know I'm not a medical doctor, so I may not be walking this out in a, in a you know, medically accurate linear manner. But what happens is I might, these indicators are telling me of maybe a greater illness or that it, this indicator, if I don't take care of it, might lead me to a bigger problem. So that's why we're identifying these issues. So what we identified was this warped sense of responsibility. So I don't know where the other ends and I begin. I also think I have more power than I really do. And so I take all this responsibility on about this person's condition. Or I even do it to myself. And I don't let God have a lot, a great majority of the responsibility. That I need to respond to God and his healing in my life. But I need to also know that I can't fix it all myself. If I could, I would have done it. So I get this lack of objectivity. And so I'm not really sure who I am. And I see this external world through the eyes of a child. And so things are bigger. Things are more dangerous. Things are more intense. Things are more anxiety-provoking than maybe they need to be. Because I'm now in my inner world looking at the outer world through the eyes of a child. I always end up feeling controlled and needing to control. So I'm doing all this image management. One of the other characteristics of codependency is I'm hypersensitive. I'm hypersensitive to criticism. Because, oh my gosh, it's attacking who I am and I already don't feel sure and safe and and secure about who I am. So I'm picking up on every type of criticism that may come my way so I can hurry and manage it or defend against it. So I have a lack of of self-confidence. I may have difficulty making decisions because I don't know how to please you and please me at the same time. And so I get kind of paralyzed in making decisions. I also might have this constant need for approval and affirmation to the point that I may compromise or betray myself. So I have a hard time standing alone. So I may compromise or betray in order to fit 
in order to be okay, in order to get some affirmation or approval from the people I'm with or from the culture itself. So I get some confusion and a sense of inadequacy that I'm just somehow never measuring up. I'm never quite doing it right. I'm never hitting the mark. And this comes from this externalizing, that I'm trying to look to the external world to give me the internal validation. And so I might have a tendency to look for others to fix or care because I'm wanting so much to feel successful. I'm wanting to feel needed. I'm wanting to be relevant, to be important to somebody. And so this tendency is this like little kid inside of me trying to make my world safe because this may be what I learned as a way to secure my childhood. If I made mom happy, then maybe I felt more secure in my world. If dad approved of me, I made myself more secure. If the family got along, then I had this harmonious world and now it was going to be safe and I wouldn't get hurt. Or maybe they would love me more or like me better if I performed at school. If I got a really good job, then maybe all of a sudden I got the validation that I'm worthwhile. Another one is that I have this belief that others are the cause are responsible for my feelings and choices. So because I take responsibility for others' feelings and choices, I also think they're responsible for mine. So I might blame. I may get in a victim stance that this always happens to me. Nobody ever loves me. Nobody ever wants me. Nobody ever gets me. Well, a lot of this has to do with what's going on in my internal world because I'm responsible for that. I tell people often, you know, you're responsible to make yourself understood. Now, people may still not understand you, but it really isn't their responsibility to work real hard at understanding you. That's your job to make it possible to understand you. See, as little kids, they don't understand themselves. So we are helping them understand. Our focus is on understanding them. If we're good caregivers, from the day they're born, we're trying to get this little creature. How do they work? How do they think? What kind of food works? How does their sleep pattern go? What affects them? We're trying very hard to understand them because they don't understand themselves. But as an adult, I need to understand me so I can help you understand me. So we also may have a rigidity or a need for control, and this has a lot to do with securing my world. If I can just control my external world, then maybe I'll be okay. So it makes it hard for us to flex with the way the world works because the world, even and especially today, is more and more in chaos. So we also may result in some physical illnesses like depression, high blood pressure, headaches, backaches, irritable bowel syndrome, because all that anxiety about not feeling safe and about who we are is getting internalized into our body because we're not managing it in our emotional realm. So what might be some rules or statements a codependent person might make? Well, they may say others' needs are more important than my needs. Okay, this sounds like a very Christian thing, but truly Jesus took care of his needs very effectively so he could meet the needs of all those around him. So I may believe, that, believe it's selfish to take care of myself. Well, what I say to people often is, you know, you, you take care of your car. You maintain your car. Because if you don't, then it affects everybody around you negatively, right? They can't depend on you to get any place on time. They can't maybe depend on you to even get there. So if I maintain me, people then can depend on me in a healthy way. And so it's imperative that I I maintain me and care for myself so I can actually care appropriately and effectively with long-suffering, with great mercy, with loving kindness for other people. 
So another codependent statement may be, don't talk. I'm just not going to talk. I'm just not going to say anything. I don't trust anybody, and I'm certainly not going to feel anything because feelings are very unsafe to have. They're either going to be ridiculed, unaccepted, or someone's going to take responsibility and be mad for, mad at me for having the feelings I have. So I'm just not going to have a feeling. Well, our feelings are a major part of our identity, so we can't have intimacy if we don't share feelings. So another one is that I may feel it's my job to fix other people's problems, such as my mom, my friends, my dad, my siblings, my coworkers, my spouse, my partner. This is, again, a more childlike way of looking at the world because this is securing my external world. So let's, let me say a couple of things so that you can just ask yourself, am I struggling with codependency? And always remember this is on a continuum and that you are taught this. There, there is no way you could not have learned some of this behavior. So one of our jobs as a healthy adult is to unlearn some behaviors that are getting in the way of having healthy intimacy and that are stressing us out incredibly when we go into a system. So when I go to visit my family, when I go to visit my friends at work, if I'm not managing this, it's going to make that more stressful and I'm going to have maybe some real kind of feelings of trauma that I have to get over after Christmas. So I might want to say, am I insecure or suspicious? Do I feel compelled to help people? Am I taking responsibility for their feelings? Do I feel empty or bored or worthless if I'm not taking care of someone or solving a problem? Am I unable to, to stop talking, thinking, worrying about other people and their problems so I talk more about them than I even am willing to express about myself? Do I lose interest in my own life? Especially if I'm in love, do I just worry more about their life and what they're doing? Do I stay in relationships that don't work? Are you afraid of people's anger, dislike, disapproval, or misperception? And do you leave bad relationships only to form a new one? So these are just some checklists, and this is not in any way to cause you to feel deflated or defeated. This is about learning how we can understand ineffective ways of relating and choose to manage our own internal world. Have a great Christmas. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate and spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay anytime at KPXQ1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on 1360 KPXQ.